0: and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? She did not care what people thought. See, she that's was the seemingly. way to do it. You've
2: got to not care what people think.
1: Exactly, that's how
3: do and it. she was living her best life.
2: She was the roar of the roaring twenties.
3: She totally was. Yeah, it's punk rock, but with feather boas and fragrance. <laughs>
2: I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but very occasionally I'll be walking along somewhere and I'll get a whiff of something, a smell. And it's so profound. It's so familiar. It's so triggering of a specific memory. But I don't quite know what that memory is. I don't know whether it's the memory of a person or a place. And yet it's incredibly familiar. There has been a sort of a a break between the smell and what that smell reminds me of. It's really frustrating. I get it not often, but Occasionally, and I don't know how common that is. I don't know whether this is other people suffer from that affliction or whether it's just me um but today's episode is kind of all about that. It's all about smell and about perfume in particular, which is ironic because right now I have a terrible, terrible cold, and can't smell anything, and I'm completely bunged up uh so my apologies anyway, welcome, friends, welcome back to patented my podcast, all about the history of inventions and other cultural stories. From History Hit, I'm your host, Dallas Campbell. Apart from my little affliction, sense is really, really important. And I, I, I feel it takes or is thought to be taking second fiddle to other senses, to sight and sound, but it's so important. It is the invisible backdrop to our lives. Fragrances are are time machines. Anyone who's read Proust will know that, à la recherche du temps perdu, In Search of Lost Time, and the famous scent of the Madeleine Cakes. Scents and fragrances transport us back to people and to places and to objects and to occasions and to the memories of our lives. And it's a very, very powerful thing. And yet scents are fleeting. They can be elusive and jarring all at the same time. We fall in love to scents. We are repulsed by smell. Smells wet our appetite, and they they feed our other desires. Uh, Anyway, on with the show. We're going to be talking about a particular perfume, specifically the most iconic perfume of all time. And that is Chanel Number 5, which is the perfume that changed the world. So we're going to be going back to the 1920s. The 1920s, a world that was in upheaval. The old social mores were being ripped up by the bright young things. Politics was all over the place. Fashion was changing. The world was changing. And at the centre of this revolution was Paris. And in the heart of Paris, there was one particular character. And her name was Coco Chanel. My guest today is Susie Nightingale, an award-winning writer on perfumes and the co-host of the really wonderful podcast On The Scent. It's great. Enjoy the show. (laughs) Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome, uh, Susie Nightingale. Hi. Hey, it's, it's great to have you. I love your podcast, by the way. It's funny because... Thank you so much. You sent me a really nice message on social media saying hello. And then I started I listening to your podcast. And it reawakened my interest in sense and things. And I, I, I can't remember when it was. Years and years ago, I wrote, uh, when I was doing uh, Bango's The Theory which was a science programme, I did a thing all about scent and how scent works from a neuroscience, psychological point of view.
3: God, I'm so fascinated by that because it's something that really scientists have only just recently started paying attention to. Yeah. Because people thought it wasn't really that important, your sense of smell. And when you actually dig down and realise how connected we are to it, how much we use it without realising it... It just blows my mind, and I—it's one of the
2: reasons it I is love It is really so interesting. It's, you're right. It's—I think we kind of against sight and hearing. It always plays second fiddle a little bit.
3: Yeah.
2: But it is this—it's this invisible kind of canvas on which are, all our, our lives are projected. And there's also that. Obviously, the, we might talk a little bit about this—the the memory sense of it. You know, the, the Proustian, yes, à la Recherche. Do Tom Perdue? Is that how you pronounce it? I can never remember. I mean, it you know, sounds great to me. <laughs> The Madeleine cakes. <laughs> yes, it,
3: exactly. That sort of time, time travel, travel moment thing, yeah. where you—and I'm sure we've all had this experience—if you walk past someone in the street and they're wearing a fragrance of someone that you perhaps used to date or that your mother wore, <laughs> and suddenly you are propelled back. Yes. To the exact last time you saw them, and you can remember what you were wearing and what the weather was like, and things that you've never thought about for years. Yeah, years. like
2: do you remember that advert in the in the eighties? The eighties. You weren't around in the bloody eighties. I you, was around <laughs> in the eighties. It was for impulse. It you was, do you remember the woman with, <laughs> oh, It was a God, bit creepy. Yes,
3: men can't help acting yeah, on impulse. <laughs> yeah, it was slightly. They wouldn't have it now, would they? <laughs> we've, we've moved on since those times. Also, yeah, I think impulse body spray was tended to be worn by well, certainly in my school by girls. Oh. Um, you know, in in the in the yeah. gym, <laughs> in the
2: shower afterwards. It's the kind of Link's equivalent. Yeah. Oh my God. The Link. There is something truly foul about going into locker rooms sorry james my teenage son i'm not talking about you but you go into kind of teenage <laughs> boys bedroom and it just reeks of what is it about Links?
3: well i have to
2: interject okay. at this
3: point and say that the <laughs> fragrance we were chatting a bit beforehand <laughs> the fragrance that your lovely producer freddie admitted wearing was uh, freddie
2: do you are you a Links? <laughs> you're not a lynx guy are you? Crikey.
3: Why? But that's- And also, something that I was telling Freddie is. So, I I mean, okay, we might not say that it's the most sophisticated of fragrances, perhaps, but Lynx Africa, it was created by one of, who is regarded one of the most incredible perfumers in the world, Francis Kerjan. and he has just now gone in to be in-house perfumer at Dior. You're
2: kidding. That, well, that's interesting. So, that actually, behind the Lynx thing that makes me want to vomit is a sophisticated scent. <laughs>
3: Yes, you have perfumers behind all of these. You know, if there is a fragrance in something, it would have been created by a perfumer. And yes, you know, things like that are much more functional and they're very low cost. So it's perhaps not using the most expensive ingredients in the world. But those perfumers have to be trained. They train longer than doctors and scientists. They train longer than a surgeon because they have to do a
2: chemistry degree and then they train as a perfumer for six years. It's really interesting. So they understand the chemistry of it. Do perfumers understand? just while we're on the subject of memory and smell Mm. and that transformative thing from my own memory, smell kind of transcends... The, the kind of outer bits of the brain and go straight to the kind of middle of the brain. I forget which bit. Do I mean the amygdala? Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong.
3: Yes, it's the amygdala. So, and it's also the part of your brain that is closest to the outside world because it's sort of halfway up. Our nose is part of our brain and it's just plugged directly into the limbic system, which is where memories are stored and where emotional responses are stored. So that's why smell can time travel so instantaneously.
2: When we get that smell, it's not like we have to kind of think it or process that yeah it's, it's that instant it bypasses wow.
3: logic yeah totally it goes straight to your gut almost and of course we now know that we also have a brain in our stomach as well um, <laughs> I but, don't have a brain in my well maybe
2: I do have a brain in do my you skin. not well I, yes I know that gut, gut feeling I, I understand I understand yeah. well it's funny actually it's, yeah I mean so I get it when um Lnet hairspray it's in the gold can. Yes. Oh, my God. Well, a couple of things. First of all, if you look on the can itself, there's a portrait of a woman. And that woman yeah. is the mother of a friend of mine. That's really? My, that Yeah. That's my claim to fame.
3: Wow. That's incredible. Yeah.
2: But also, I think maybe my grandmother used an net or... Yeah.
3: My mother used it. It's very, It's um, I associate it with her going out. So it's sort of very glamorous smell. It's a sort of forbidden smell of womanhood <laughs> that I could only hope to attain. You know, that sort of impossible yeah. glamour and beauty and all of these accoutrements and things that they're using and makeup and clothes and suddenly looking not like your mother, but like an actual human being who's going out, which is always really yeah. weird to see. Also,
2: every makeup person who does works in telly or film uses Elm. That. it's just yeah. the kind of so totally. every time I go in and get the makeup done for things it's uh, I get transported back to, to yeah. my granny's boudoir <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and it's uh, but anyway smells generally well, we could talk about smell and memory forever we'll get on to talking about what we're going to talk about we'll talk about the invention of channel five as I call it channel five <laughs> uh, channel five <laughs> which is such a groundbreaking in the sort of pantheon of perfumes Chanel number no. mm. 5 am i right in thinking that's the kind of that's the one or everything is measured against.
3: It's the sort of birth of modern perfumery, certain modern mass Mm. perfumery, because suddenly perfume ingredients were much more affordable. So you didn't have to be uber rich to afford a perfume. And you also didn't have to, you could buy it off the shelves. You didn't have to go to a perfumer and request a bespoke fragrance. Oh, that's
2: interesting. Well, just tell us in the day, so we're talking from 1920. So if we go back in time a bit, I mean, obviously people wore perfumes to cover bad smells. And when did it kind of move from being just a thing to disguise bad smells into something more psychological, a brand, if you like?
3: Yeah, I think really the Victorian era, you started having perfume brands and that was the kind of the start of it. You would still have people making their own fragrances at home. So you would have, a cook would also make fragrances. They'd make an eau de cologne, but these very much sort of to do with cleanliness. Eau de colognes were originally drunk for health because they were in alcohol. So you'd have a little tipple (laughs) to make you feel good. And then you'd just splash someone as well. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in the Victorian era, you had the birthplace of, you know, these incredible houses, some of which are still around today. In the UK, we've still got florists, we've still got penhaligans, and that's when they were starting. Mm. And they were appealing to the sort of middle classes as well as the upper classes, because they could suddenly afford to buy a fragrance. And they weren't in crystal bottles decorated with rubies and things, which you would have had your own, a jeweller, make your perfume bottle, and then you would take that to your perfumer before that and have them create something amazing for you
2: and what perfumes made of then i mean in talk about Perfumiers, what kind of materials would they be using?
3: I mean, they're using things that we're still using today, but they were only using naturals before the Victorian era, basically, because that's all they obviously right. had access to. You've got you know anything along the spice route. So you've got exotic ingredients, you've got ambergris, and you've got all of these incredible spices and things from around the world. But again, obviously, they were
2: hugely expensive to import. Yes, I remember I, there's, I read a thing about ambergris, which is whale vomit. Is it or whale something?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, it's often referred to. It's not actually vomit. It's that basically the all the bits that are crushed up from cuttlefish that they regurgitate. So it's not actually vomit. An yeah, like an pellet. owl pellet, basically. <laughs> an
2: underwater owl pellet.
3: <laughs> underwater owl pellets. And I have never got to the bottom of who was the first person to to smell this thing, which is washed up on a beach, and then think, oh, I'll pop that in a perfume. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's one of those really weird but also it's incredibly expensive. It's more expensive than gold or, or some ridiculous thing.
3: Oh, massively. Yeah, I work for the Perfume Society in the UK and we had someone ring us up once and say that they'd found this lump of what they thought was ambergris because it looks a bit like a a pebble Mm. or something on a beach and it was in Ireland. There's a few beaches in Ireland where it often washes up, something to do with the tidal patterns, I guess. And um, he and his son had been playing football with what they thought was this weird light pebble and then he thought, well, I'll take it home and investigate it. And um, there's this test you can do with a hot needle and all these things to ascertain whether it is actually ambergris. And he said, oh, I think it is. And um, it had started off as a massive lump. And By the time they'd finished playing football, it was (laughs) quite small. We worked out that if he had not played football with it and kept it as a massive lump, it would have been worth about half a million pounds.
2: You are kidding
3: no oh my
2: god <laughs> how much did he get for it
3: it was like several thousand pounds yeah, I mean, that's, but that's um really yeah nice. look at what Are you, you could have so won
2: beachcomber should look out for energy just to, just in case yeah it's one of those weird things like you know how who the how did anyone just
3: like know, musk from and civet from musk deers which is they use i mean it's synthesized now but in the olden days they, yeah, they used to squeeze this gland Behind a musk deer's anus, <laughs> it's, we all do
2: that. I mean, we've all been there. Uh, I mean, you know, we've yeah. all been
3: there, haven't we? And just just to see yeah. if it smells. I've nice.
2: got a squirrel that visits me every day, and uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's hello. <laughs>
3: well, have have a go. I mean, that's what you do in your spare time, Alice. is entirely up to you.
2: <laughs> okay, so we've got these sort of weird and wonderful ingredients that goes into perfumes. And yeah. Yes, let's let's propel ourselves into the worlds of flappers and bright young things.
3: Yeah. And I think it was such a revolutionary time. It's difficult to put ourselves in that. And I think the only thing that we can liken it to, perhaps, is sort of punk That's rock. That's my era. How That's shocking that era. was. Yeah, you go. These women who were cutting their hair and wearing trousers and smoking in the street were just seen as absolutely outrageous, the antithesis of what a young lady should be. It's kind of the birthplace of Mm. teenagers as well. They were wearing their own fashions. They weren't just mini adults. You know, they weren't just wearing cut down versions of what their parents were wearing. They were suddenly wearing something that was really different, completely different to the sort of corseted fashions of previous eras. And yeah, they were dancing
2: on tables. And what year were we here? So this is post First World War.
3: Yeah, so very early of the new century. And there's a brilliant book called Flappers by the author Judith Mackerel, if you want to read more about that era, which I think just really explains perfectly how shocking this was. And she's got pictures from contemporary newspapers of parents who were terribly worried about their children, their girls especially, who were cutting their hair and uh, sort of rouging their cheeks and rolling their stockings down and showing their knees. I mean, outrageous.
2: Outrageous. So actually, just for uh, the word flapper, we should explain. I don't know. Does everyone know what flappers are? I don't know. Tell us about flappers. Yeah,
3: I mean, I don't know the etymology of the word, but certainly the really the high couture of this time, you know, the the fashion that everyone wanted to follow started Mm. in Paris. And it was Parisian women going to nightclubs, staying out late, having their own money as well. They don't have to ask their husbands or their father's permission.
2: So this is feminism 1.0 revolution. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which brings us to the great name of the era, Coco Chanel. Tell tell us who Coco Chanel was. What's her background and how did she get caught up in this world?
3: So she came from an incredibly humble background. Her mother was a washerwoman, basically, who did laundry for people. And we don't know how, but her mother died when Chanel was very young. So Chanel was sent to live with Cistercian nuns at a convent and she grew up in their convent school. And from there, I, and there's sort of sketchy details of her early life, but yeah, it was very humble beginnings but from an early age she seems to have been very rebellious and uh, she cut her hair she was one of the first women to be seen with short bobbed Mm. hair and she would smoke and she liked doing she was very sporty so she liked outdoor life she was you know she liked going to the races and gambling and she would often be seen at the races wearing what were ostensibly men's clothes at that time so she would go to the races all the other women are still in their Mm. ostrich plumes and corsets and there she is and she kind of of looks a bit like a tomboy and she's cut her hair and she's she's wearing a sailor's shirt, you know, and trousers. And people started thinking, who is this woman? Because she was so confident about it somehow. There's a wonderful chapter in Cecil Beaton's book, The Glass of Fashion, talking about the fact that revolutionary people in the fashion or in art, you have to do it with a confidence and aplomb. That's how you become a leader. You know, you're not following anyone else. You're just being completely outrageous. And eventually, if you do it well enough and for long enough, people start taking notice of you and thinking who is this woman so people started going to her for style advice basically and saying where did you get that shirt and she'd sort of dress them and she turned this she started out doing hats actually and opened a tiny little um, boutique selling hats that was a roaring success and then she sold that and went into bigger premises and started designing fashion Mm. and these fashions were as I say they'd just not been seen on women before so she Take the sort of silhouette of a sailor's trousers, and she'd put women in those, or the stripy tops, which we still wear today, the Breton tops.
0: All this month on Gone Medieval from History Hit, I'll be asking who really were the Vikings? How did they become so successful in spreading across Northern Europe and beyond from the late 8th to the 11th centuries? What are the stories we tell about them and what legacy did they leave behind for us today? I'm Dr Kat Jarman and throughout September I'll be examining the big questions about the Vikings with a host of experts and answering all of your burning questions about the Viking Age as well. So, for everything you always wanted to know about the Vikings, subscribe to Gone Medieval from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
2: Well, that's it. When you mentioned that sort of Breton style, I think of Jean-Paul Gaultier, who reinvented yeah. the Breton style in the 1990s, suddenly became fashionable.
3: Exactly. We're still wearing those, yeah. but she was the first person to popularise that in yeah. fashion and also ready to wear clothes as well, that you didn't have to go to a couturier and her, or a tailor and have, again, hugely expensive outfits made. And she was dressing people. She was styling them. People wanted to be like her, basically. So she had a brand. And part of that brand was... She wanted to do a perfume. And of course, it wasn't going to be like the perfumes that had gone before, because talking about the Victorian and the Edwardian eras, women then were supposed to smell like flowers, like nature, just like a posy of violets or a little, a rose on a bush, you know, something delicate and lovely. So the scent
2: reflected the sort of mores of fashion and respectability and and how women's place in society...
3: Yeah, exactly. And, and there's whole codes, there's whole, you know what the Victorians were like, There's books about, you know, what perfumes are acceptable to wear, depending on what class you are and what colour your hair is and oh, what outfit you're wearing. And you wouldn't put perfume directly on your skin because that basically marked you out as a whore. You would have it on your handkerchief or you would scent a scarf with perfume but you wouldn't
2: that's what I do yeah I, I, I could
3: tell on. that from you, you. no well I didn't it. I wouldn't think that of you dad can I
2: just actually just well while, <laughs> well while she had a pretty fruity I was reading a little bit about it. she took many lovers uh, oh she, she w- certainly did she yeah was a lady, and but publicly also she was a mistress publicly there was no kind of hiding it she just basically no she
3: did not care what people thought See, of that's the way to do it you've
2: got to not care what people think
3: Exactly, that's how it and she lived her as we would say now. She was living her best life.
2: She was the roar of the Roaring Twenties.
3: She totally was, yeah. And again, it's punk rock, but with feather boas and fragrance, and that's what I think she was doing. You, know. it was shocking. People were gasping in the street if you walked past someone, a woman in a sailor's
2: top and trousers who was
3: smoking mm-hmm. and wearing her first fragrance, which was, as we know, Chanel Number no. Five.
2: So, okay, well, let, this is a good place to start. So, she's fashion. She's a badass. We've. Yeah established yeah. that she, she had many lovers excellent many. we love all of this this is terrific <laughs> so she suddenly saying you know what i'm going to redefine did, i mean well did she decide i want to redefine perfume how did how did she get into perfume
3: she basically wanted to redefine how women smelled um because she realized that that was something that just hadn't been catered for women were still
2: why was sorry why was she so obsessed by smell particularly what was it about smell that, that, that i don't know i mean
3: i've read theories that she wanted this sort of soapy smell and a lot of people theorize that that's because you know her mother was a laundry woman and she mm. grew up surrounded by soap and that was a very nostalgic scent for her she was incredibly superstitious as well so she had all these horoscopes done and would go to fortune tellers and things like that and do the runes but she... Yeah, I think she just realised that she didn't want to dress a certain way. And smell is so evocative of your personality. It's such an expression of who you are outwardly to the world. As you say, it's this invisible accessory. So if you are wearing very modern clothes and you've got a modern haircut and you're living this modern life, but you smell like your grandmother, it doesn't fit. And she realised that she wanted it to be the whole package. So she was shunning those, oh, I'm smelling like a rosebush and a bunch of violets and lily of the valley and she wanted something completely different and so she met with this perfumer what, who was friend of her Russian lover uh, the Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich. <laughs> and there was a perfumer called Ernest Beau. and he had been hanging around with the kind of rich and famous. He was a kind of perfumer for hire and he would travel the world making friends with the rich and famous and making bespoke fragrances for them. And he was also something of, of a revolutionary in that he was rejecting old-fashioned perfumery techniques. He was really interested in the synthetic ingredients that were beginning to be available so these are things that have had never been used before they'd never been discovered before so things like you could extract coumarin um vanillin all of a
2: sudden aldehydes yes aldehydes is one of these things we hear a lot about in modern perfumes is that the same as like i think of formaldehyde is is that an aldehyde what is an aldehyde and when did we go from natural things to to synthesize things like what happened was that was there a kind of moment where things switched
3: yeah I mean really it's the late 1800s they were starting to be discovered Mm. but they kind of didn't know what to do with them they just knew that these were new smells so that you could in a laboratory you could extract from a natural ingredient a molecule that doesn't actually smell like the
2: ingredient that it came from so they're kind of new chemicals Am I right in thinking part of the the sort of exploration of these new chemicals was about longevity, whereby natural, yes, natural, natural scents would disappear in an hour if you kind of rub a bit of lavender exactly or whatever it would go in an hour whereas these would last for hours and hours, and hours exactly
3: and hours. so you can still buy all natural perfumes now and in some ways there's a kind of return to that with a lot of the sort of millennial and gen z's looking for all natural things however yeah, yeah oh yeah i'm <laughs> totally of the same opinion oh gen my Z. god yeah. don't even don't even get me started yeah i don't like chemicals <laughs> well you're out of luck because everything is chemicals <laughs> including yeah. the oxygen you're breathing but okay <laughs> But yeah, natural ingredients, you're absolutely right. If you have an all-natural fragrance, it will disappear in a couple of hours at most. And also it smells kind of... There's something happens with perfumery when you have these synthetic ingredients it kind of gives a structure a backbone a skeleton to a fragrance so that you can then use naturals within that but they will all kind of separate and you can right. build things
2: more rather than just whacking them all in and stirring them it's so okay so she's got her what's his name uh, Ernst Ernst Beaux. Beaux. that's the name for a perfume absolutely Beaux. so they get together and they go come on we're gonna do something. Pretty.
3: Yeah, exactly. And she said she wanted a fragrance. She actually said the scent of a woman, but not a woman of the previous century, rather than a posy of flowers. So she wanted something clean, pared back, stripped down, that didn't smell like anything else. And Chanel No. 5, I think the reason it's still popular today, over a 100 years after it was first introduced, is that it doesn't smell, it's really difficult to describe. So you smell it, and it's although it's got rose and jasmine in it, you kind of don't smell them because of these aldehydes. It's almost like the pop of a champagne cork. It's this fizz, this explosion of sort of freshness and bubbles. And that goes throughout the fragrance that's really long lasting, but it also smells of soap, it smells clean, it smells of sort of when you've just got out the shower and your skin is still wet and you smell slightly of soap, but slightly of of you so your skin's natural muskiness but cleanliness and then yeah champagne bubbles and
2: fizz and weirdness. I love that you describe it so beautifully I wonder if there's how did he get to how did Ernst bow and, and Coco Chanel get to this kind of And also, how do you make something that no one's seen before? It's almost like playing a chord on the piano that no one's heard before. Exactly.
3: That's always what I liken it to. It's like saying to an artist, oh, P.S., I've just invented a colour that's never been seen before. Here you go. Or Mm. to a musician saying, oh, here's, yeah, here's a chord that's never been heard before. What do you think you can do with that? That's how exciting these synthetic... Molecules were. And that when they were experimenting, and Ernst Bo was doing this a lot uh, before he started working for Chanel, he worked for a Russian house and he was actually um, scenting the Russian royal family. But he was making things that were just a bit weird for them. So he started using aldehydes in 1913. And there was a Russian house that he made a fragrance for called the Bouquet of Catherine. And it just didn't sell because people thought, what the bloody hell is this? It's just, it's weird. It smells it smells like I don't know going into space or something and it's not cold a lot of fragrances at the time you wanted to evoke warmth and a sort of a Mm. generous gentle feeling and a cold fragrance is so it's weird to think of a smell in terms of temperature but that's what aldehydes bring to Mm. a fragrance it is definitely cold it's almost metallic and silvery so he was playing around with these already but it had not been commercially successful I think he was just way ahead of his time so it was kind of a Really happy meeting of these two revolutionary spirits who wanted to do something really different. And working with Chanel, mm. he put loads of these aldehydes into the fragrance, and that's really what gave it its signature.
2: Okay, why five? Why Chanel five? Was there a kind of was it's like we're gonna? Was there a four? Yes, we, we, didn't, we didn't like Chanel. Yeah, so four. when <laughs> we didn't like Chanel yeah, number six, exactly that. How did? Where did? Where did? number five come from? Or why five?
3: So five was Chanel's lucky number. As I say, she was very superstitious and she had a thing about the number five that it was really important to her. And so whether or not that led her <laughs> into smelling the fifth one again, that's the one, we don't know. She says not. She says it was a happy coincidence. You know, it was her lucky number and that was the one. But yeah, so when perfumers work for whoever they're creating the fragrance for they will submit a number of different variations of that fragrance for them to smell and to narrow down and they will just number them they won't have names so that's still what perfumers do today and so I think he did something like one to number 24 something like that we have no idea what the others smelled like just that number five was the one that she smelled and went that's
2: the one (laughs) And I suppose the question, like you say, it's been going for 100 years now. It's still, I mean, when you say name a perfume, everyone's going to name Chanel number five. What's given it its appeal? Is it the smell or is it the branding? Because it seems so much when we think about perfume, yes, smells, yeah. but so much of it is it to do with the person? Attached to it, the branding. I, I suppose with Chanel Number no. Five, very famously, Marilyn yeah. Monroe was. What do you wear in bed? I wear Chanel Number no. Five.
3: They've been. You know, lots
2: of people have been associated. They've been with
3: really that. clever with their branding. Yeah, exactly. Brad Pitt. I mean, how revolutionary was that? A man. Yeah, it's been traditionally associated as a woman's fragrance, and then having a man as the face of that fragrance was. So they're mm. very clever. I mean, they are. Brilliant. It's kind of a masterclass in how to promote yourself without promoting yourself. It's just, yeah, we happen to be this cool all the time, mm. and it's not gaudy. The bottle has barely changed. Sometimes they do slightly different variations of it. But it's one of the most instantly, even just the silhouette of it, most people could recognise yes. that's a Chanel Number no. 5. Yeah, exactly, just yeah. the
2: bottle shape. It, it, it is that simplicity that just doesn't yeah. date, isn't but, it? It's the simplicity, nothing fancy about it. It's just a number. It's the absolutely. type font. It's, it seems that yeah, which package. is
3: so Chanel, you know, was so her style. She didn't want loads of gaudy things on her bottle she wanted it to reflect the simplicity the sort of um, more masculine tailoring of
2: her clothes what i love about it what i it's so interesting it is like smelling history it is like you say i'm very familiar with chanel number five because i've you know relatives there was always a bottle of chanel number five in my mum's house i think and my grandmother's house and it was just it's such a kind of you can't imagine a world without it i don't Mm. wear perfume i do have a bottle of aftershave which is about 15 years old (laughs) i smell of leather and petrol <laughs> well i always did when i was at university because i rode a mot i still ride a motorcycle so always <laughs> so well, they are very popular
3: <laughs> popular <laughs> smells within yeah. fragrance actually you are have they? a lot of well yeah there's lots okay. of um, fragrances that are kind of for petrol heads oh, that are aimed I don't at want to
2: smell of leather and petrol no
3: okay we'll find you a fragrance find me I'm, something determined. Nice. I'm determined to find, find you and nice.
2: Freddie. get Freddie off his Thing. we'll we'll wean him off what's my um it's called what the heck's it called a molecule it's called yeah, oh yeah the, molecule, molecule it's called yeah eccentric molecule yeah, that's so what that I was have. revolutionary it was given as me. well it was given to me why oh i'm revolutionary oh nice you
3: are yeah why so is that, that is nice? one ingredient and it's Isoe super which was an ingredient that was discovered in the 1970s again completely synthetic awesome. And some people can't smell it. So some people are a nosmic, as we call it. If you can't smell something, you're a nosmic because it's a large molecule. And some people can't. A lot of musks are large molecules as well. So some people can't smell a lot of musks without realising it. So you might be able to smell your fragrance and someone else wouldn't be able okay. to smell it. Or you might be putting loads of it on and someone would go, oh, my God, how much <laughs> fragrance are you I mean, wearing? No, that's,
2: maybe, <laughs> it doesn't really smell very much. I mean, I alternate, obviously, between yeah. leather petrol molecule and squirrel anus it's a, <laughs> depends on my mood depends on my... <laughs> you're a man of exactly. diverse taste hey listen i want to just before we go i've got to plug your your um podcast because it's so oh, good you. honestly it's it's such a fascinating subject and i'm so happy that we've cross-pollinated and you've come on my podcast yes on the too. scent is Susie's podcast and you it talk is. about history you talk about the chemistry you talk yeah. about different fragrances what else?
3: Yeah, and we just wanted to do it in a really um, unsnobby way, I think.
2: It's great. It's exactly Good. what it is.
3: Yeah, we do perfume
2: prescriptions for people. So we'll do you and Freddie awesome. on the show, That would be think. nice. That would be great. And listen, will you come back on, Susie? And, and think? we'll think of another invention, a perfume-related invention, well, and then we'll get you on. We'll get you on, and yeah, so get thinking. I I love this subject. Oh, I tell you what, I I had years ago. I had a meeting with someone who is who did perfume branding for hotels. So every oh, amazing, yeah, yeah, that's a really cool. It was really interesting. It's a huge
3: business as well. That sort of Mm. branding, that smell branding, and again, it's really subliminal, but it would be really noticeable if you walked into your favorite, you know, whatever five star hotel, as I'm sure we all do. We all all do, all the time. Your regular suite, and it didn't smell as usual because, as we said, right. at the beginning these things are it it bypasses logic it goes straight to your memories and emotions and you do it without thinking about it
2: all the time and on that floral note we shall say (laughs) cheerio Susie thank you so much don't forget (laughs) thank you on the send to Susie's podcast have a listen to that and Susie come back on the show anytime uh, and let us continue thank you so that's the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your company as ever. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a rating and a review and tweet about it and whatever. It helps others discover the show and it's always very nice to hear from you. Don't forget, do get in touch if you've got ideas for the show. We always love hearing your ideas and we try and feature as many as we can. Next time, I'm going to be continuing our little mini-series on the invention of forensics with an episode all about the birth of fingerprinting, which is absolutely fascinating. If you think the idea of fingerprinting has been relegated to Agatha Christie novels, think again. We use fingerprinting to open our phones and when we're in the queue at customs at airports. It's a really fascinating story that goes way back, begins in India, and I'd love your company for that one too. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive